Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone, this is Robin Warder, host of the true crime podcast, The Trail Went Cold. If you grew up watching the classic television show Unsolved Mysteries, then this is the podcast for you. Each week... I profile a new unsolved murder or missing persons case and share all the baffling details. Afterward, I provide my own personal analysis and theories about what might have happened. This is a show for true crime buffs who are fascinated by cold cases and love to discuss them and pick them apart in an attempt to figure out the truth. So be sure to check out our podcast to learn about some truly bizarre unsolved mysteries where the trail went cold. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, the 1960s brought incredible change to America. New programs to help the less fortunate access jobs, education, and healthcare were introduced and civil rights movements were gaining traction across the states. It was a decade of rebellion and hope for a better world. Young people shunned war in favor of free love, and people strived for revolution. America was evolving and dividing, but one thing was sure to capture the attention of the nation, the complicated case of one man accused of two love triangle murders in two different states. Hello listeners, I'm your host Nina Instead and welcome to episode 53 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Doctors Carl and Carmela Capolino met in the early 1950s while Carl was undertaking a bachelor's degree program in chemistry. Carmela was studying pre-med at Trinity College and later went to the State University after the couple were married in 1956. 
Carmela's father, Carmelo Musetto, was also a doctor and readily helped the young couple get their medical degrees. Carl chose anesthesiology as his specialty and began a residency at the Methodist Hospital in Brooklyn in 1960. It was here that Carl first took an interest in hypnosis as a medical practice and began writing scientific papers about it. After joining the Riverview Hospital as an anesthesiologist, the couple moved to Red Bank, New Jersey with their two young children in 1962. Carmelo was also a licensed physician, but worked for a pharmaceutical firm instead of working in general practice. At just 30 years old, Carl Capolino's medical career was cut short when he suffered a heart attack. Afterward, he retired from medicine and began collecting disability and insurance checks instead. While he was out of work, Carl wrote books about hypnosis, coronary issues, and life as a practitioner. Life for the Capolinos was enjoyable on their street in Middletown. They were friendly with most of their neighbors, but Carl had a close relationship with one neighbor in particular, Marjorie Farber. While Carmelo was working long shifts at the pharmaceutical company, Carl spent most of his time with Marge Farber, a 48-year-old housewife and stay-at-home mother. Marge acted as Carl's caretaker, driving him to appointments and the library so he could research, and she was also one of his hypnosis clients. She wanted to quit smoking, so Carl offered to hypnotize her into stopping her bad habit, which seemed to work a little too well. Marge was infatuated with the young doctor, and they began having an affair behind their spouses' backs. They took trips together under the guise of Marge being Carl's caretaker. On one trip to Florida, they purchased adjoining lots in a new neighborhood development in Longboat Key. The affair continued, and in July 1963, Marge's husband suddenly became ill. 54-year-old retired Army Colonel William E. Farber was resting in bed on July 30th while Marge and Carl were drinking in the backyard. Carl later said that he believed the colonel was suffering from a heart attack and advised him to go to the hospital, but he refused to go. Carl was anxious about the liability he could face if the colonel got worse, so he wrote a letter for Marge to sign. The letter read, I hereby release Carl A. Coppolino, M.D., from all responsibility for the case of my husband, William Farber. Dr. Coppolino wishes to be released because Mr. Farber refuses to be hospitalized, even though he may have had a coronary. Dr. Coppolino only gave emergency care. That afternoon, one of Farber's daughters came to her and told her she didn't think her father was breathing. Carl checked on the colonel and found that he had died. He suspected it was a heart attack. Still, he could not sign a death certificate as he was no longer licensed to practice medicine. They waited for Carmela to get home from work and called her over to sign the death certificate instead. Carmela later told her father she had signed it to protect her husband's disability payments. Carl had told her that the colonel had suffered a coronary occlusion with a myocardial infarction. The death was not reported to the medical examiner, and Colonel Farber was buried in Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. The affair between Carl and March continued. In late 1964, the Coppolinos decided to sell their house in New Jersey 
and moved to the warmer climate in Florida to try and alleviate his heart problems. They made the move in April of 1965, and Marge was determined to follow her lover across state lines once her own house was sold. Before the move, Carmela Coppolino resigned from the Hoffman LaRoche Pharmaceutical Company and was given six months of severance pay. She wanted to practice medicine in Florida, but failed the physician's exam and could not find work as quickly as she had hoped. While living at 581 Bow Spirit Lane in Country Club Shores on Longboat Key, Carl kept busy by joining a bridge club. It was here that he met 38-year-old divorcee and mother of two, Mary Gibson. By the time Marge Farber was able to move in next door to the Coppolinos in mid-August of 1965, she had been replaced as Carl's secret lover by Mary Gibson. Incensed and betrayed, Marge tried to tell Carmela about her husband's infidelity, but Carl called Marge and warned her to stop spying on him. The next day, tragedy struck. In the pre-dawn hours of August 28, 1965, Dr. Juliet Caro, a general practitioner in Sarasota, Florida, received a phone call from the husband of an acquaintance. Carl Coppolino asked Dr. Caro if she could come to their house immediately. He sounded upset, but didn't explain why. He just insisted that the doctor get there as soon as possible. Dr. Caro had only met the Coppolinos a few times after Carmela inquired about a job a couple of months prior but she knew where they lived and hurried to make her way there. When Dr. Caro arrived at the house 20 minutes later, Carl was waiting for her at the front door. He told her that Carmela was dead and led Dr. Caro to the bedroom, where she found Carmela in bed, half covered by the comforter. She was wearing curlers and a nightgown and lying on her right side with her arm beneath her and her hands clenched into fists. Dr. Caro later recalled the scene, and she said, Both hands were of equal size and no discoloration. I felt that was unusual, that anyone lying in that position, the hand would be swelled. Also, the face was discolored on the right side. That was unusual because the pillow, being under her face after death, the blood would drain to the most dependent parts of the body. The bedding looked disturbed, and it seemed unlikely that Carmela had died in that position. Carl began explaining that his wife had been having chest pains the day before, but had refused to see a doctor. As he was speaking, Carl began to clutch his chest and take little white pills from a medicine bottle. Dr. Caro asked him if he needed medical attention, but he said no, and that he knew what he was doing. Carl asked Dr. Caro to call his neighbors, the Thompsons, and ask them to look after the children for a while. After the Thompsons collected the couple's young daughters, Dr. Caro notified the police and the medical examiner in Sarasota County about Carmela's death and signed the death certificate stating that the 32-year-old woman had died from a coronary occlusion. Within a few hours, Mary Gibson came to collect the girls from the Thompsons and Carl made his way to the Thompsons' house for support. He told them that he didn't want to inform his in-laws about Carmela's death. Mrs. Thompson recalled, he just didn't want to. He wasn't going to tell anybody up north. He wasn't going to tell her parents or his parents. They would get too excitable, and he wasn't going to go through with it. I told him he had to. 
How do you not tell a girl's parents that she is dead? Carl also wondered aloud how he would cope alone with his medical problems. Mr. Thompson recalled the conversation that followed. He said, He was asking what he should do, what he was going to do. My wife suggested that he just stay where he was for a while and possibly get a housekeeper to come in and take care of the children temporarily until he decided what his future plans would be. Carl responded that he would have to get married again as home help wouldn't suffice. Carmela's body was taken to the funeral home and embalmed without an autopsy. But when Carl spoke to his sister-in-law to inform her of Carmela's death, he explained there had been an autopsy and the cause of death had been a massive coronary. Dr. Carmelo Musetto was an experienced doctor and couldn't believe that his healthy 32-year-old daughter had died of a heart attack. He called Carl to learn more about what happened before Carmela's death. Dr. Musetto later recalled the conversation. Carl said that late that afternoon she had been suffering with what appeared to be indigestion and that she had taken some pills for indigestion. He mentioned names. I don't recall what he said she had taken, and after that, she sort of felt better. They had been home, that he had been playing cards with her, and that about 11 o'clock they had a drink. I asked, what was the drink? He said it was a Bloody Mary, and then they went to bed. As part of Carmela's family's wishes, her body was transported to New Jersey and buried in a family plot in St. Mary's Cemetery in Boonton. Carl did not attend the funeral service. A few months passed, and although Carl Coppolino seemed to get over his wife's death quite quickly, his ex-mistress, Marge Farber, had something weighing on her conscience. Marge reached out to Dr. Caro, the doctor who had signed Carmela's death certificate, and told her that she believed that Carl had administered a fatal dose of succinylcholine chloride to his wife. Succinylcholine chloride is a muscle relaxant that is virtually undetectable in the human body. Administered through a hypodermic needle, the drug causes temporary paralysis. Marge explained that she had seen him do this before to her husband, Colonel Farber, back in New Jersey two years earlier. March said that Carl had first hypnotized her in February 1963 to stop smoking, and during subsequent sessions, she fell in love with him. She spoke about a love plan that Carl had her follow, which involved her moving out of her marital bed and living with her husband in a sibling-like relationship rather than a married couple. Carmela seemed oblivious to the affair, but the colonel objected to the amount of time Marge was spending with Carl, and Carl eventually told Marge that her husband had to go. Marge claimed that Carl had given her a needle filled with succinylcholine chloride and instructed her to inject it into her husband while he was sleeping. But after piercing his skin and administering a minuscule dose, Marge couldn't follow through and she called Carl to come over urgently. She said that Carl gave the colonel an injection and then stated, he is a hard one to kill. He's taking a long time to die. Marge explained that Carl then took a pillow and put it over her husband's face until he stopped breathing and told her to wait until after dinner time to call Carmela and raise the alarm. Marge told Dr. Caro that she feared something similar had happened to Carmela. 
Although the doctor had her own suspicions about Carmela's sudden death, she told Marge to contact the FBI. Carl had married Mary Gibson three weeks prior to Marge contacting Dr. Caro. He was living with Mary and his daughters in another area of Sarasota, Pine Valley Drive. Carmela's father, Dr. Musetto, also suspected that the sudden death was not caused by heart failure, but he didn't want to risk losing his granddaughters too, so he kept in touch with Carl and even purchased the house in Longboat Key so that he could be close to the girls. But he could not shake the suspicion, and he too reached out to the authorities for help. With both Marge and Dr. Musetto contacting the police about suspicious deaths involving Dr. Carl Coppolino, an investigation began in November 1965. The FBI had informed the Sarasota Sheriff's Office about the allegations. In turn, the Florida authorities made contact with New Jersey officials. Carmela Coppolino's remains were exhumed four months after her death and examined by Dr. Milton Helpburn, the medical examiner for the city of New York, and Dr. Michael Bodden. Based on Marge's claim about her husband's death, the medical examiners began looking for injection sites on Carmela's body. On her left buttock, they found a raised puncture wound that was consistent with an injection by a hypodermic needle. Afterwards, Carmela's organs were retained and sent for toxicology analysis to determine whether any foreign substances could be found. Nothing was located, but that was to be expected because, at the time, it was believed that succinylcholine chloride could not be detected. Dr. Malcolm Gilman, the chief medical examiner of Monmouth County in New Jersey, began conducting medical research to see if succinylcholine chloride could be detected after death. The substance was historically used by indigenous tribes to poison arrow tips. It was sometimes used during surgeries to temporarily paralyze patients, rendering them unable to move while still retaining consciousness. Dr. Gilman calculated the fatal dose of the drug to be used on four rabbits who weighed the same. The first rabbit died quickly after its head dropped, something that indicated the drug had an effect on the breathing muscles. Rabbit 1 was buried for one month. Rabbit 2 was injected with six times the amount of succinylcholine chloride and buried for two months. Rabbit 3 was injected with the same amount and buried for three months and Rabbit 4 was subjected to the same procedure before being embalmed and buried for four months, the same amount of time Carmela had been buried for. After each rabbit was exhumed, their soft tissue was processed into a solution which was then injected into other rabbits and caused them to die the exact same way. Dr. Gilman concluded that this proved that the breakdown product was still in their system after death in high enough quantities to prove fatal to others. Dr. Charles Joseph Umberger, a chief toxicologist, obtained Carmela's organs and tested them for the presence of succinylcholine chloride. The drug breaks down into two naturally forming products called succinate and choline. An excess amount of these products were found in Carmela's vital organs, leading the medical experts to conclude that she had, in fact, received a large dose of the drug prior to her death. Umberger wrote in his report, 
liver and brain tissue showed chemical findings of choline and succinic acid. Controlled cases examined by the same procedure failed to show the substances. The positive findings indicate quantities in excess of medical levels. It is possible that the choline and succinic acid were derived from the drug succinylcholine, which is rapidly broken down following absorption by the tissues. Carmela's cause of death was changed from a heart attack to homicide, and an order to exhume Lieutenant Colonel Farber's body was issued. Colonel Farber was exhumed from Arlington Cemetery in July 1966. As he had been buried for over three years, his coffin had collapsed, and water had soaked through to his body. During the 11-hour autopsy, the heart was examined. It showed no evidence of coronary failure, but the medical examiners did find two fractures on his right and left cricoid cartilage, meaning his larynx had been broken, something commonly seen in cases of manual strangulation. A warrant was issued for Dr. Carl Coppolino within days of the autopsy. He was arrested at the home he shared with his new wife, Mary, in Pine Valley Drive on July 23, 1966, after a grand jury in New Jersey issued an indictment on charges of murder in the first degree in the case of Lieutenant Colonel William E. Farber on July 30, 1963. Carl was taken from his home wearing a sports shirt and Bermuda shorts, but he immediately began complaining of chest pain and was transported to Sarasota Memorial Hospital for treatment. Two days later, a grand jury in Florida issued an indictment for Carmela's murder. Carl was served with an arrest warrant at the hospital and taken to jail. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The preliminary hearing was held in Florida in September, and Prosecutor Frank Schwab and his assistant, William Strode, described some of the state's case against Carl. Meanwhile, Carl had hired a well-known attorney, F. Lee Bailey, to defend him. Bailey had an unbroken string of acquittals since he began working as a trial lawyer in Boston six years earlier. In 1966, he secured the release of Dr. Samuel Shepard a doctor who had been convicted of killing his wife 12 years prior. Bailey was also handling the Boston Strangler case at the time. Carl had lost over a dozen pounds since his arrest, and he wrote letters from his jail cell that illustrate his state of mind at the time. 
On September 24th, he wrote, I feel the whole world has seized my head in its enormous hands and squeezed out my brains. I can feel the sides of my head collapse, and I want to scream. I want to run and hide, to drop in my tracks, give up, or quietly cry myself to sleep. I don't know how I could have been cushioned throughout life, but I must have. Yet I have suffered every hardship that goes along with the product of a low-income big city existence. I conquered all and became hard, but not tough. I try to think about the goal, freedom. Reason says how many days or weeks or even months in jail is a small price to pay for ultimate exoneration and freedom and years of peace and happiness with Mary. But the waste, the utter waste of the precious time never to be recaptured, lost forever, this poisons my spirit, makes me ill, drives me to tears, and the fear, the numbness of the mind trapped in an unreasoning and unreasonable fear, the smell, the stench of fear on me who has never been afraid, who has had the last rites twice, who has peered down that black abyss of unconsciousness seven times, who has had such pain that survival seems impossible, all without fear. The sensational case attracted enormous media attention, and crowds had gathered at the Sarasota County Courthouse and try and get a glimpse of the handsome young doctor who was accused of almost perfect murder in two states. After the two-day preliminary hearing, Carl was committed to trial, and his bond was set at $15,000. He was able to post bond almost immediately, and he was quickly extradited to New Jersey to face trial there first. The trial began in Freehold, Monmouth County, on December 5, 1966, before Judge Elvin R. Simmel, who commented on the carnival-style atmosphere that enveloped the sensational case. The prosecutor, Vincent Cooper, told the jury in his opening statement that Carl Coppolino had broken biblical commandments. He said, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, but also, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's life. The prosecution argued that Carl had planned the murder of William Farber, executed the plan, and killed him in July 1963. It was the state's case that Carl had injected Lieutenant Colonel Farber with a paralytic drug before smothering him and ultimately strangling him in the victim's bedroom. The defense admitted that Carl was a philanderer who had a love affair with the victim's wife, but they claimed that he was not guilty of murder because no murder had occurred. Bailey told the jury that it was possible that the fractures seen on the victim's neck were inflicted post-mortem when he was being exhumed. In his opening statement, Bailey said that the murder allegation had been made up by Marge Farber when Carl chose to marry Mary Gibson instead of her. He told the jury, It is a monumental and shameful demonstration that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. She would sit in his lap in the electric chair just to see that he dies. Testimony began with Marge Farber, who told the court, I tried to kill my husband, but Carl Coppolino came in and did kill him while I watched. Marge told the jury that she had helped Carl kill her husband because she was under the influence of his hypnotic trance. She said, I was another person, this terrible complex, me and that other person dominated by Carl. I was brainwashed by this man. He had a vicious hatred for my husband. 
I didn't. Marge was warned that her testimony could incriminate her as she was giving it voluntarily without the promise of immunity, but insisted that she was doing so out of fear for Carl Coppolino's new wife and out of fear for her own life. When asked why Carl would want to kill her husband when they seemed to be able to continue their affair without any objection, Marge responded, Carl is so egotistical that he doesn't want anyone to interfere in anything he wants to do. I think Carl was jealous of Bill. Marge testified that Carl had given her a small tube of white powder to inject into her husband while he slapped on, but after inserting the needle and injecting a small amount of the fluid, she shied away in horror and her husband woke up. Marge told the jury, Monday night, I mixed the solution. I had some of this powder left and I mixed up another solution, filled the syringe, and I had a terrible struggle. I paced the floors. I went downstairs and upstairs and downstairs. I don't know how to describe this feeling. I was doing this thing. I I couldn't stop myself. It was absolutely over and beyond my free will. March went to the downstairs bedroom where her husband had been sleeping alone for months and stood by his bedside. She continued her testimony and said, he was lying on his side and his legs were exposed and I bent over him with the syringe in my hand, and I I started to put it in his leg, and I started to push the plunger down, and I couldn't. I froze. I couldn't do it. And then my husband jumped up, and he said he had a charley horse. Marge explained that she helped him into the bathroom, and he began gasping before he fell on the floor. She couldn't lift him alone, so she called Carl and asked him to come over. Marge said, He had his medical bag with him and he filled a syringe with a sedative, which he gave to my husband. He told Bill this would make him relax and sleep. He was in bed and he was conscious. Then Carl told me to get a plastic bag. I didn't know what he wanted it for, but I got one. I gave it to him, and he put it over Bill's head and started to suffocate Bill, and Bill was nauseated, and I told him to stop it, leave him alone, and he did. I wanted to change the pillowcase because it was soiled, and he said, all right, and I could do that, but not to wash the pillowcase. Then we left Bill. He was resting, and I guess we went into the other room, the TV room, and I was so glad to see that Bill was all right. The following afternoon, Carl came back to the Farber's house and told Lieutenant Colonel Farber that he was going to give him something to help him relax. Afterwards, according to Marge, Her husband began to argue with Carl and told him to get out of the house. She said Carl was furious and told her, That bastard has to go. He threatened me and my family. Nobody is going to talk about me like that, and he has got to go. Marge claimed that she begged Carl to leave her husband alone, but he began filling the syringe again and went back into the bedroom. When she followed him in, Carl apparently told her that her husband was taking a long time to die. Marge told the jury. Then he pulled this pillow out from underneath my husband's head and he put it over his, just put it over him. And he leaned full weight right down on him like this. And I just stood there and looked at him. Afterward, Marge claimed that Carl had instructed her to pin a note to the door for her children saying, Daddy is sleeping. Don't disturb him. Carl then went home, and Marge called the Coppolino's house later that evening to complete the final stage of the plan. 
getting Carmela to sign the death certificate. Marge explained that after the Capolinos moved to Florida, Carl wrote to her every week. Eventually, she told him she didn't want to continue their relationship. When she moved to Florida herself, four days before Carmela's death, she saw Carl with Mary Gibson and told Carmela about it. Marge said that Carl threatened to have her committed to a psychiatric hospital if she told anyone about her husband's death, and, out of fear, she complied. She went on to say that after Carmela died, Carl spoke to her about marrying either her or Mary Gibson and ultimately asked her if she wanted to be their housekeeper when he married Mary. She declined. Testimony from those in the medical field followed. Dr. Edmund Webb, who had worked as Carl Coppolino's chief resident in New Jersey, testified that he had supplied 1,000 milligrams of succinylcholine chloride to Carl in 1963. Dr. Webb said that Carl told him he wanted it to euthanize a dog. Dr. Milton Heltburn testified that he was certain that the fractured larynx seen on Lieutenant Colonel Farber during autopsy was inflicted during an assault, not during the exhumation process. The prosecution rested their case after seven days, and then medical experts testified for the defense. Medical hypnotist Dr. Leo Woolman said that Marge Farber could not have been hypnotized against her will into killing her husband. He told the court, the subject must want it to take place. In my opinion, she wasn't hypnotized. Two doctors testified that Colonel Farber could have died of a heart attack and that his larynx was probably fractured when his grave collapsed or from a blow by a gravedigger's shovel. They testified there was no hemorrhaging found around the injury, so it was not inflicted when the heart was pumping. Dr. Ford, a Boston medical examiner, told the court that there was evidence of coronary disease. He said, Farber had a narrowing of the coronary arteries, a form of sclerosis which, in fatal cases, commonly causes death by impeding the flow of blood to the heart. Carl's mother, Anna Coppolino, testified for the defense. She bolstered the defense contention that Marge Farber was a woman scorned, who was seeking revenge when Anna said that Marge had told her that she would likely be Carl's next wife, who would raise the children as Carmela would have liked. Mrs. Coppolino told the jury that they held her son's life in their hands, and then her son took the stand in his own defense. Carl had been in the Monmouth jail during the trial, and his wife Mary had remained his biggest supporter throughout the proceedings. On the stand, Carl said that he was on an errand of mercy and not murder when he went to the Farber's house in July 1963. He claimed that he went to help Lieutenant Colonel Farber, but he had refused to go to the hospital, so he had administered two drugs to treat anxiety and tachycardia. Carl admitted to hypnotizing Marge to quit smoking, and he admitted to having an affair, but adamantly denied killing his love rival. As the defense rested, attorney Bailey told the jury that Marge's claims of being hypnotized into committing murder were fictitious. He said, Her convenience of slipping in and out of hypnosis is exceeded only by the convenience of her forgetful memory. Her story is an agony of contradiction. The jury were sent away to deliberate on December 15, 1966, and after four and a half hours, they returned with a verdict. Carl Coppolino was acquitted of the first-degree murder charge and began clapping and whooping when the verdict was read. 
He then slumped in his chair, and officers had to rush over to give him a nitroglycerin pill, which made him quickly recover. Carl was allowed to celebrate with his wife and mother briefly before he was returned to custody to be sent back to Florida, where he would face a second murder trial. His mother said that she had prayed for her son not to go to the electric chair, and her husband, who had a bad heart, was still working long shifts as a barber, which he had done to put Carl through medical school. Before the Florida trial began, in April 1967, Carl Coppolino tried to sue Marge Farber for $1.2 million, but the suit was dropped after the judge refused to bar journalists from Carl's deposition and on the grounds that any suffering he endured came as a result of the Florida indictment against him rather than the one in New Jersey, which was based on Marge's statement as a witness to the crime. The trial for Carmela Coppolino's murder took place in Naples after Bailey requested a change of venue on the basis that the pretrial publicity would make a Sarasota jury prejudicial against Carl Coppolino. Bailey told reporters that he had hoped the acquittal would prove favorable when it came time for the Florida trial, but said, The public doesn't believe a not guilty verdict. They think I got Carl off. Legally, the man is as innocent as if he had never been accused. When the trial began, Carl's wife, teenage stepdaughters, and his own nine-year-old daughter sat in the gallery to support him. Judge Lynn Silvertooth presided over the murder trial proceedings. State Attorney Frank Schwab laid out the prosecution's case that Carl Coppolino had injected Carmela with succinylcholine chloride, which paralyzed her. He then sat on her until she suffocated face down in her pillow. Doctors Helpern, Gilman, and Umberger testified about the autopsy and tests they ran, concluding that the drug was administered and caused Carmela's death. They had also enlisted the support of a pharmacologist from New York University who supported their testing methods used to find the drug. Ohio Medical Examiner Dr. Frank Cleveland was called as a prosecution witness. Cleveland said he agreed with the conclusion that Carmela had died due to asphyxiation caused by a dose of succinylcholine chloride. Once again, the defense called expert witnesses to oppose the prosecution's findings. But, unlike the New Jersey case, there was no broken larynx or collapsed grave to explain away the death of the young doctor. Dr. Webb testified that he had sent Carl 2,800 milligrams of the drug before Carmela's death, after Carl told him he was conducting experiments with it. The prosecution claimed that Carl killed his wife because he knew she would never agree to a divorce, and he wanted her life insurance money. Her father, Dr. Musetto, testified at the trial and said that his daughter was Catholic and opposed to divorce. After over six hours of deliberation, the jury returned with a verdict on April 28, 1967. They found Carl Coppolino guilty of second-degree murder something that is usually reserved for murders that are not premeditated. This was strange because it was probable that an anesthetist would know that amount of muscle relaxant would stop the person's ability to breathe by themselves. He would have had to prepare the dose in advance, so, by definition, it would have to be premeditated. Regardless, Carl Coppolino was sentenced to life in prison. The media coverage of both trials was extensive. Between the complex medical testimony, 
Reporters sprinkled tabloid fodder details alleging that Carl Capolino faked his heart condition and that he had been fired for threatening a nurse. The methods used by the chemists in the case have been blasted by others as being unreliable and without merit, but they were enough to secure the first conviction for murder by use of succinylcholine chloride. Carl filed a number of appeals following his conviction, but they were dismissed. He was paroled for good behavior in September 1979 after serving just over 12 years. Dr. Carl Coppolino has continued to work as an author and a consultant, although his medical license was revoked. He has written books about his conviction, including one titled The Crime That Never Was. His second wife stayed by his side throughout the rest of his life before his death in 2017. This episode was researched and written by Eileen McFarlane. Editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman. Script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. We will be back next week. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe.